0: not talking about that slavery specifically, but we are talking about how a freed man or woman struggles with thinking as a freed person. So there are going to be three things this morning that I'd like to uh, convey to you. First, the law gave life to sin so that it will kill me. Second thing, you are not under the control of the law anymore. Third thing, there is another power as an option. Okay, The law gave life to sin so that it would kill me. You are not under the control of the law any longer. There is another power that is an option to us. So this morning, our uh, future elder Ratliff <clears throat> read to us from Jeremiah 34. There's a lot of verses there. I realized that when you were... Speaking, I go, wow, Paul got the easy one this time. (laughs) But uh, he was speaking about the prisoners that had been set free, right? The Lord told the king, set them free. They did. They brought them back. That was a bad thing for them. In Romans chapter 7, Heath spoke about the power of sin and how it's there to kill me. In Psalms, Paul read about how we walk in freedom. So, if I could have you stand for the reading of God's Word in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to try to read this with some expedience. Uh, You guys have been standing for quite a bit. This is the whole chapter. So, I'm going to read it in a conversational way, a conversation with somebody who talks fast, okay? (laughs) So, open your ears to be able to receive that. And um, if you miss something, just go back to Romans 7. So, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, just to trip you all up this morning. Okay, so this is the NLT. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, you do not know that the law applies only while the person is living. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she were to marry another man. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law and it does not commit, and she does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died in Christ. <clears throat> you now are united with one who has been raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good fruits for God. When we were under control by the old nature, the sinful desires that were in us work within us, And the laws that aroused these evil desires, and they produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died from it, and we are no longer captive to the power. So now we can serve God, not in the old ways of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new ways of living in the spirit. Well then, I am suggesting that the law, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact... It is the law that showed me my sin. I would never have been converted if I didn't know that it was wrong in the law. if the law had not said so, that you must be converted. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous de- desires within me. And if there is no law, sin would not have the power. At one, an- at one time I lived without understanding of the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, For instance, the power of sin came into my life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we see how terrible sin really is. It used God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law, for for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand it myself, for what I want to do for what I want to do, what, when I want to do what is right, I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, it shows that I agree with the law and that it is good. So, I am not the one doing the wrong. It is the sin living in me. Be careful with that. Okay. We can go back to that. <clears throat> it is the sin living within me that does it. And I know nothing good lives within me, and it is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really one doing the wrong. It is the sin that lives within me that does it. I have discovered the principle of this life, that... When I want to do what is right I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God and I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin and that it is still within within me. <coughs> oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So when I said be careful here, I just wanted to make note, um, you are not necessarily separate from your nature. So... You can't walk around to your parents and to your bosses and to your authorities and go, well, it wasn't me who did it. It was the sin nature. Sorry. You know, you can't punish me. We'll try to punish that sin nature if we can find it somehow in my back pocket. So we are one and the same. But Paul is trying to give the understanding here. It's it's the sin that perverts the law, which is good. Okay? So the law gave life to sin so they could kill me. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, it wasn't just a set of rules to live by. Something that a person could uh, say, you know, today I didn't covet my neighbor's donkey. Praise Jehovah, I'm good today, because I didn't do that, no. The Ten Commandments was given as a principle, The law is there to shine light on our sinful nature. Without it, we'd never know who we really are. It's like if it never rained, you'd never really appreciate just how, much, how good the sun is. If it was sunny all the time, you wouldn't appreciate it as much. Like the people in California, don't know how good they really have it. <laughs> so Matthew Henry states in his commentary, food or medicine when taking wrong may cause death, though its nature is to bring nourishment and to heal. The law may cause death through, means of de- uh, through man's depravity. but sin is the poison that brings that death not the law but sin discovered by the law was made death to us all John Calvin says the dominion of the law the whole of the law the dominion of the law continues to bind us as long as it remains in force so when it's not in force it has no power at all amen the law of Moses which is oftentimes referred to, but it really is the law of God. God gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai to give to his people, but we're going to call it the law of Moses for hermeneutical sense. The law of Moses was for a people who had just come out of slavery for 400 years. I mean, this is all they knew. This is all they understood. 400 years. This isn't 40. Try to think of yourself 40 years ago, what you were doing. You, some of you can't think of that. What you were doing 40 years ago It seems like a lifetime ago. Now imagine 400 years. This was an entire people group that came to an area that was received by a king. They had a great life, but then a bad king came in after the death of their patriarch. The bad king came in, enslaved them. They were living amongst Egyptians, with Egyptians all the time, every day. The Egyptians were the superior people in that area. So what they say goes. They don't get to do the things that they were used to doing anymore. Not without some pushback. We see that with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they tried to do the things that they were called to do, the kind of pushback that they received from a king that wanted them to do only what he wanted them to do. So they were living in the land of the Egyptians, living by their laws. What laws? What laws did the Egyptians have? So I looked this up. They had the 42 precepts, is what it's called. Forty 42 precepts of Mat, which means harmony. These slaves only knew how to live like Egyptians, talk like Egyptians, eat like Egyptians, worship like Egyptians. Even the Jewish children only played games that the Egyptian children played, which okay? is common things. They had floor hockey and hand, handball, and things that you could only do without technology. So. So remember that, kids. When you're asking to use your parents' phone to play some Candy Crush or something, they didn't have that. Get a ball and throw it against the wall. So they lived by these precepts of the 40, uh, 42. Now, irregardless of what they knew for 400 years, it the Israelites that reverted back to the animal worship. When Moses came down from Sinai, The first thing they do when you took too long, the thing that they were used to, and this is proof text that they thought like Egyptians still. This is all they've known. Moses comes down from Sinai after a period of time, which was too long that they felt. Moses discovers them worshiping a golden calf. This golden calf was the bull, the Jewish god Api. This is what they knew to do. This is all they knew to do. So do we blame them for doing these things? You might have a little, well that's all they knew, so I guess, maybe not so. But there's a new way, Moses is introducing a new way. (coughs) It's a clear sign that the Israelites were so steeped in the Egyptian religion as well as in their practices and they've tried to synthesize it with their own religion. So they had this Judeo understanding but they brought in a lot of these filthy things from this pagan religion. So they had a mixed bag of goods is what it would be like. Moses had to teach them all new things. So within this 42 precepts, number two says, um, well I got it right here, I'm not try I remember it. Uh, I had it there, but there's too many words that come together with bad prescription. So anyways, it says, um, I praise whatever his name is. Yeah. I can't really pronounce it anyways. Like Hepket. <laughs> Hail Hepket. I have not committed robbery with violence today. That's precept number two. Does that sound a little reminiscent of something within Ten Commandments? It's number eight Thou shalt not steal. I've not committed robbery with violence today. So I guess it's OK to commit robbery as long as you don't do it violently. <laughs> I did find one in there that I found it was very <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> it was uh, precept number eight in, in the 42. <clears throat> now, something I didn't know about the Egyptians, I never pictured them to be a quiet people. I mean, quiet. They walked around, not whispering, but no one raised their voice, unless they were backsliders. (laughs) One of their 42 precepts says, I hail some other weird god. I hail this guy, for today I did not raise my voice, ever. So I immediately thought of my wife. (laughs) I said my wife would fit in very well in the Egyptian culture. I, however would be put to death for some infraction (laughs) but I never pictured the Egyptians to be a quiet people but when this is the tenant by which you live by a religious tenant well you do those things right other than the occasional I sinned against Hepket whatever his name is so I thought that was interesting that I married an Egyptian so when studying these uh, principles I saw that this is all that the Israelites knew some of the biblical skeptics say well Moses just took these laws and whittled them down to 10 instead of 42 he took the best ones because remember Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh he wasn't just a guy he was educated well educated and he would have been educated in religious things as well so Moses knew these 42 precepts like the back of his hand but on contrary Moses writings if you were to dig into them Moses speaks very fluently against the principles and the spiritual ideas of the Egyptians. Okay. He did not want to emulate them. But there are things in this world, even amongst the unbeliever, that are done that look like us. And why is that? Because God said in Romans chapter 2, God said through his man in Romans chapter 2, where the Gentiles do not have the law. By nature, they do what the laws require. So they have these things written in their hearts. They know. They don't need a God to tell them it's wrong to kill someone. They know that. They know it's wrong to walk up to somebody and just murder someone's child, someone's husband, someone's sister. You just know that, whether you've been told by the Ten Commandments or not. So the Egyptians had this form. They were a society that was after the original society that God set up with Adam and Eve. Ten Commandments weren't there, but God still wrote laws and underspoke laws and understanding that had been passed down through verbal history. This is how people did in ancient times. They passed down their stories. They didn't write them down, unfortunately, but they passed them down. They would speak about them regularly. The older people of their clan would talk about the things that have happened in their life and the things in which they saw. So imagine Adam speaking of the laws of God that when God walked with him in the garden, he would have told his children. and His his children would have told his children and so forth, so forth, until we had a written law that came on tablets. So the law was given by God ultimately to point to the redeeming Messiah, which would then come 1,600 years later. All of this is to show how difficult it could have been to think as a freed slave. That's all you knew. Today, all we know, all we see, all we've grown up in, church. Churches that are called by his name. They look more like a corporate entity than they do the living, breathing bride of Christ. Why? Because they're following in the patterns of the world. Well, how do you make a successful business? Well, we need to establish a marketing department. We need to establish sales. There's our evangelist. We need to establish our CEOs. There's our pastors. We need to have our support staff. These are all our, our admins. We need to have various things going on for them. These are all of our <coughs> fun pizza parties for the guys to keep them encouraged at work. So we fit this pattern of what we know What we see everyone else doing, we follow the flow of that. We do. This is why it's hard. We struggle with thinking as a freed person. We still think about our old ways. So we're not under the control of the law anymore. In verse 1, Paul states that the law is only in effect as long as one lives. So here, Paul is not trying to uh, establish the doctrine of divorce. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's not talking about that here. He's only using this common understanding. It's understood commonly. You're married till death do us part. When that person dies, you no longer have that law binding you. Right? This is all Paul's doing. He's not trying to establish, this is how Christians ought to live, this is how they should divorce, if it's done any other way than this way, well, then it's all wrong. There are scriptures for that, but not here. Yeah? So Paul's taking that which is common, and he's, say, he's saying... She's under an understanding that she is to be his wife until he dies, or clearly she dies. But once he dies, she is no longer under that power. That power no longer holds her, just as the old power of the law, when we die with Christ, no longer holds us. <clears throat> In verse 4, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. Sum it all up. This is the point. That you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with him who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good fruit for God. So we can list the fruits of the spirit here. But the one I want to focus on within that would be joy. Right. So this isn't the title of our sermon, but joy joy. We have joy because we've been freed from the law, right? <clears throat> Let's just pause here for a moment. When, when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, when we <coughs> talk about living in the Spirit, what does that mean? You probably have heard this your entire Christian life. You know, walk in the Spirit. Oh, okay all right um, is it that way or is it is it overheat I don't what, what are you talking about walking in the spirit what does that really mean right? so does any can I get a show of hands anybody you know I'm not going to ask you to define it for me but just tell me I am comfortable and confident that I know what it means to walk in the spirit not a one of you <laughs> or maybe some of you are scared <clears throat> Except for my child, because he's increasingly holy every day. Thank you, Eli. <laughs> so what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Now, Roman, Romans 12 tells us to be not conformed. Right? So there are a lot of little uh, golden nuggets throughout Scripture, but Romans 12 tells us not to be conformed, renew your mind. So let me read it to you, but if you allow me to read it to you in the NLT again, and I, and I like... I like the New Living Translation. If, if, you, if you do any uh, research on, on what versions you wanna read, the NLT is the most recent and the most accurate way of translating with modern understanding of translations. Okay. So it is a translation, not a paraphrase, but they take the thought that's trying to be conveyed and translate that thought to the reader. So allow me to read it here. Verse 2 says, sorry, yeah, verse 2 in chapter 12, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Now, I'm not speaking about wearing a baseball cap, okay? It's a custom and behavior of the world to do a thing, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Very specifically, because we can take a very pharisaical approach on this, if if that person's wearing a pair of Nike Jordans, well, they're of the world. They're following the world's fashion. So we're going to follow like the Amish, and we're going to make ourselves so incredibly not fashionable. And that's going to be our claim to, to life. Right? When my daughter asked me the other day, why, why do the Amish do the bowl cut? And I said, specifically because they want to be as absolutely ugly as possible. <laughs> and that sounds harsh, but it is absolutely true. They want to be 180 degrees away from fashion. So if they do the most base thing, then they could never be reproved for trying to be fashionable, for trying to look better. They will get in trouble if they wear red suspenders instead of black suspenders in certain certain. Uh, certain churches have their own laws, right? So we don't want to just, walk, as Calvin said, walk on our hands because the world walks on their feet. We don't want to just immediately do the opposite. So chapter 12, verse two is not speaking about being conformed and to the fashions and the patterns and the customs of this world because, well, we would all be out, right? Businessmen wear sport coats. so therefore he must be in the fashion of the world. Look at him. What should I wear then? Right. So you, you get into too many pharisaical laws of how one should look, and then you become very judgmental. They're like, well, Luke's not wearing a tie today. Looks like he's not going to heaven. <laughs> right. And you laugh, but honest to God, this happens. I have, I might, I might have been that kind of guy at one point. God be praised, I'm not any longer. He took me out of that. He took me out of the law and freed me, okay? Even though I was in a church, that's what he did for me. Not everybody can say that testimony, but there are people who go to that level. It's so easy. One of the things that oppressed me so much uh, early in becoming Reformed, uh, visiting uh, St. Peter's, long time ago, long before I ever knew you guys. The fact that some of their women wear head coverings and some of them don't. And my question to Steve Murphy was, how does this even happen? How, how, how is it this family isn't fighting with that family? Because where I come from, one who does a thing unto God, well, they're doing the right thing. And if they're not doing it, they're not doing the right thing. So how do we coexist? If you're doing something different, Derek's wearing a maroon. No, okay, we're both wearing maroon ties. We got the memo. <laughs> <clears throat> Derek's wearing a black blazer, and I'm not. You know, he's holy, and I'm not. And how does he not think that way? It gets to this level. So, be very careful not to use the scripture in your home. Chap- verse two is not saying, "Don't have any appearance of the world at all. Don't wear jeans. Don't wear fashionable shoes. Just walk around in." burlap potato sacks, because nobody's doing that and you're safe, okay? This is what we're going to do. So we don't walk on our hands just because the world walks on their feet, right? God transforms you into a new person by changing the way you think, okay? So he says renew your mind. When you learn how God, when you learn what God's will is for you, which it is good and pleasant and perfect, okay? So an example, a long time ago when Nevaeh was just a little toddler, <coughs> we thought, well, we're just going to send her to school because this is what you do. Right? She's got to go to the local school, and both Elaine and I had grown up in that school. Well, I didn't grow up. I went there in ninth grade, and it was probably the worst thing. But she grew up in that school system, and it was a really bad school system. And so our thought was we don't want her there because we know what's there. We know the violence there. We know the opportunity for drugs. Now, granted, she's a toddler. She can't even speak. Well, she could. She could speak at like three days old. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't do the things that were going to tempt her, but we were looking down the line, right? But So this was our reason. That was our, that was our reason at that moment. Well, God started dealing with my wife, and I'm very slow, so much slower than my wife, uh, even to this day. And so God was dealing with her to think about homeschooling. So I said sure, honey, whatever you want. Like, if you want to tackle this, go ahead. Seems like it would be a better option than having our toddler, you know, in in school with heroin, which it didn't, not at that level. (laughs) That was like teenager level. But, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, my toddler is going to be exposed to things. (laughs) So it wasn't until after Elaine committed to doing a year of homeschool that I realized, wait, this is a good and a better thing. This is the best thing. And so God started making it my conviction. And so it's not to say that somebody who's in homeschool is a sinner bound for hell. It's just to say that this is where God was bringing us, but I was still thinking as a slave. I had not been freed. I had not renewed my mind. I had not taken every thought captive. I just did what the status quo, what everybody else does, and I went with the flow. I didn't say, and what we're about to do, is this right, is this biblical, the steps we're going to take, does this make sense, is this pleasing unto God? I wasn't doing that. I was thinking as a slave, not as a freed man. I was free in Christ, we're free indeed, but I wasn't thinking like that. So struggling, a freed man struggles with thinking as a freed man, a freed slave struggles with thinking as a freed man. We follow the systems all the time. You Remember I talked about the church system. This is what makes it work. Get a stadium, put coffee cups in your seat, you're going to attract people. If you build it with coffee cup holders, they will come. <laughs> it's kind of true. It kind of does work. A lot of these things do work. They work because not everybody is taking every thought captive. Not that coffee, in the, in the, that's not where I'm going with it. <laughs> that's not a thought you need to really take captive. You can have coffee, you're not sinning. <laughs> but the idea of do we just do what everybody else is doing just to say this is, we should do it that way. Right? So Derek and I and the <clears throat> future deacons, know, so we can't even say deacons yet. Cause nobody's been ordained for anything. We've been discussing what is this church going to look like? How are we going to operate? What what is what is it going to appear to be, right? And and again, we don't want to just walk on our hands because every other church walks on its feet. Well, we certainly want to make sure what we're doing is purposeful and useful to everyone, not just because it makes us look like we have a flashy entity. So living in the spirit, that can be accomplished by thinking like a Christian. So how do we think like Christians? Anyone? Sarah had her hand raised. Thank you, Sarah. Oh, she's flipping her hand, her hair. All right, so how do we think like Christians? Very, very simple. Read His Word. You can't think like a thing unless you know what the thing says to think like. Read His Word. If you are old enough to read, read. Read something, read it every day, a sentence, get it in you, Be- make it become a habit. If you can't read, little ones, ask your parents to read to you, okay. even if it's a little sticker devotional that goes on the refrigerator like the, uh, the David Wilkerson things, <clears throat> the calendar ones. So read his word, this is what it's going to teach you to live in the spirit. Right. So we're gonna talk about this again here in a moment, but in reading his word, if you're able to read it, do it. There is another power that is an option. When we were enslaved to the law of Moses, we thought and lived within that law, and we came to the under, when we came to the understanding of God's love through the sacrifice of Christ, we became a new creation with a new set of laws that are now written in our hearts. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, "'Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ.'" Well, you can read that in Philippians 2 to see what kind of mind that is, but Christ was humble. He was God, but He didn't see Himself to be equal with God. He brought Himself low. He esteemed those He loved higher than Himself, and He died for people who were unlovable, and yet He loved us. Days and weeks go by, And we sometimes think to ourselves, I've not been living in the Spirit. Well, I feel convicted. I haven't been living in the Spirit. The shame, the guilt comes on you. I haven't been living in the Spirit. Think again, saints of God. Think again. Your shame and your guilt will limit you from going forward in Christ. Jesus said very specific things, and we as Christians don't even pay attention to them. All too often, we're not thinking like Christians. When we meet somebody who thinks like a Christian, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's Like, wow, this person speaks so wonderfully. It's like, yeah, they're speaking the word of God. So think again, it's not a set of laws that you keep. It's a lifestyle that you live. It's a lifestyle that you live that's pleasing to God. You are, you are holy. You are. Whether you think so or not, you are. You do stupid things, but that doesn't make you unholy. You are holy because Christ made you holy. If you're not holy, Christ failed. He did it for nothing. Is that the case? No. You're holy. Even when you got a bad attitude. Even when you're flipped out on your brother or your sister or you didn't listen to your parents you're holy you are because Christ made you that way when you accepted him and what he did on the cross for you you don't become unholy because you sinned children children eyes on me okay any of you little guys when you do a bad thing in the house when you do break something or have an attitude against your siblings, do you automatically become unfamilied? No. No. Olivia, do you stop being a downy because you were a stinker about something? (laughs) No, you don't. You don't have to prove to your dad by going to do the dishes to make it right that you can be back in the family again. You're not cast away because you did a bad thing, right? Because You're holy because Christ made you holy. We have a hard time thinking of ourselves as holy because we know how unholy we think. But in reality, you are holy because Christ made you that. God sees you through the lens of the sacrifice of Christ. Yes, there's things that we need to be sanctified. Yes, we have sins in our life that need to be cleared up. There are habits that we need to destroy but that doesn't make you unholy. He still died for you knowing who you are. And knowing who you are, he gave you the power over sin. The power over sin makes you capable, not a thing which you try. You are capable through the power of God. We do not put Christ to death each day. He died once that we may have life. If we have come to the point of realizing that there isn't anything that we can do and that we want to live for Him every day in our lives, then you are His. How do we know this? Because He put in us the will to do of His good pleasure. If you were not revived by the Holy Spirit, you would not desire the things of God. You could not. Not that you would not. You could not. You could not desire to please God. You could not live a righteous life. You could not love your brother or your sister. You couldn't. You don't have that power within you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives you the (coughs) will to do of his good pleasure. When you're in his word, when you fellowship with his people, when you show love to the unloved, when you do a thing to bless someone else, you are living in the Spirit. We feel like it's this avoidable entity. Like every time we get close to this walking in the spirit, it goes over here. Like, oh, I've got to go chase the spirit again. I've got to walk in it. Oh, I just moved again. I've got to go find it again. We beat ourselves up because we are looking at who we are. We're not looking at who we are in Christ. You're going to fail. Deal with it. Deal with it knowing that you are holy and God loves you for who you are in spite of all that you are. Amen? Amen. Next week, you're going to hear the very first verse that our brother is going to talk to you about in uh, chapter 8. And it says, uh, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I'm bringing up next week's text just for a moment here because you've got to understand, when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, <clears throat> who are the Romans? they're not the Jews when he wrote this letter he didn't write it with chapters and verses it wasn't broken up this is for us to study and for us to read and to have some memory verses chapter 6 7 and 8 were together and this would be lumped together in if you were to get to chapter 6 7 and 8 which we call chapter but it just would have been a section of his letter you would have got to this point and you would have said Oh, this is where Paul is telling the Romans and the Greeks that they don't have to live by the laws that the Jews had to live by. This would be the section. So it's not, today we're reading chapter 7, last week was chapter 6, next week's chapter 8. This is all one big lumped section summarized in Paul is, not, is telling the Romans, you do not have to live the way that the Jews have lived in order to be pleasing unto God. For those who have come to the saving knowledge of Christ today, renew your mind this morning and know that God sees you differently than the way you see yourself through the guilt and the shame. For those who have grown up in a family with faith, you have the opportunity not to just live in a family that goes to church. Even you have to come to a point where you accept what Jesus did for you, just going to church Keith Green said, just just going to McDonald's didn't make me a hamburger. Just going to church doesn't make you born again. We all have to. I know that word is like a weird thing, like, ooh, born again. That's one of those churches that say the born again thing. We all must be born again. It is the newness of life that we accept when we accept what Christ has done on the cross for us, and we now have salvation even though we are still wretched people. How could that be? Well, because he made you holy. We live as freed slaves, If we have to think better. We have to think as Christ wants us to think, as he calls us to think, not as we typically think. So today, I've shown you how the law came to kill. But through the saving work of Christ on the cross, you are dead to the law, and therefore, it has no more power over you because you are married to Christ just as that woman who was married to a man he died she is free to marry another you are married to the law it has died and you are free to marry another and you married another when you accepted christ as your husbandman amen let's pray lord thank you for this time this morning father I pray god that you would open our eyes open our hearts lord to receive what you are called us to Lord, oftentimes we hear a sermon like this and we go, oh, this could be one of those sloppy love things where no matter what you do, God loves you anyways. Because the reality is it's true. It's hard to hear because we know how bad we really are. But Lord, you love us. You sent your son to die for us, knowing just how wretched we are, knowing how wretched we would be even after converting. Lord, we live a life of sin. Every day we do a sin, or two, or three, or a hundred. But Lord, you still love us. You have not thrown us and cast us from the family. We are still called by your name. We are your people. Lord, help us receive this into our minds so that we too can no longer struggle with living as freed slaves, but that we would be thoughtful as new creations in Christ. Let us take every thought captive, Lord, under your scriptures, Lord, let us love one another as we see things in one another that we see within ourselves. Let us be merciful and kind and still love as you have loved. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.